0: This podcast is sponsored by your friends at G Adventures. G Adventures has been providing life-changing small group adventures to travellers for almost 30 years. But it's not just your life that's changed. It's the lives of all the people in the places we visit. To ensure we're protecting children around the world when we travel, G Adventures worked to create global good practices guidelines for child welfare. Because kids are kids, no matter where they live, and it is critical that no child is ever harmed as a result of tourism. You, the traveller, have the power to make a true impact in the communities you visit, and that's why we actively work to ensure children are protected in the places we operate. Learn more about this policy and all of our responsible travel initiatives at (laughs) gadventures.com.au.
1: This is the Dumbo Feather podcast. Hi, I'm Nathan. A new year, a new decade is upon us. And here in Australia, we are feeling through the enormous grief and devastation of recent bushfires. If you are overwhelmed at this time, please connect with us. We have an incredible community and many resources to help navigate some of these challenges as the reality of climate related disasters hit closer to home. You can find all our contacts on the Dumbo Feather website or reach out via social media. Our first episode for the year is about empathy and it's a panel discussion recorded live at the M Pavilion in Melbourne late last year. The event was to celebrate A Mile in My Shoes, an interactive art project that invited participants to quite literally put someone else's shoes on and hear a recording of their story. I was joined by Dharma teacher Catherine Ingram and psychotherapist Sarah Pant to explore their experiences of the project and also their thoughts on why empathy is fundamental to our survival as humans, and how we can help foster it in one another as we go about our days. It's lovely to be gathered here to to talk about uh, empathy and this incredible proposition of of walking in someone else's shoes. I want to acknowledge the the context in which we're gathered here this morning, uh, a time in which human beings are having an unprecedented impact. On the planet and where individualism is rife and empathy i think is needed more than ever for um, for the resilience of our species and so at dumbo feather and the school of life we're kind of deeply invested in these questions and and the work involved in being more empathic human beings what does it mean to kind of be able to deeply listen to another human and understand what their needs are and provide for them accordingly The work of being able to make someone feel seen and heard, to bring their story alive in that moment, uh, and to ultimately bring them into themselves a a little more fully. Um, I'm joined by two incredible people here. I've got Catherine Ingram and Sarah Pant to unpack some of these ideas. So Catherine is an American author and international Dharma teacher with communities in the US, Europe, and Australia. Since 1992, she has led silent retreats and public discussions called Dharma Dialogues, which are gatherings that focus on directing attention to present awareness, gratitude, and a wider sense of community. And Catherine's also featured in this current edition of Dumbo Feather, um, so be sure to check that out. Sarah Pant is a School of Life faculty member and also a Dumbo Feather writer, whose work spans the realms of psychotherapy, leadership, organisational development, conflict work, facilitation, and the creative dynamics and process of change. With a particular interest in eco-psychology, she focuses on experience that work with the whole individual and the complexity of the broader context. So I thought we'd begin our conversation today just unpacking a bit about what empathy means and kind of working towards a de- definition of empathy from both your perspectives. Catherine, would you like to kick us off?
2: Uh, I was looking up the Greek, the etymology of, of empathy, and it means, in Greek, in feeling, in feeling. I was thinking about how innate empathy actually is in us. If you've ever seen any of those videos of little babies, one will start crying and the other starts crying, or one starts laughing, the other starts laughing. There's something very present in feeling within us that somehow gets overlooked or clouded. The individualism, the (laughs) me-first, me-only impulse starts getting stronger. Um, So it's really a matter of tuning into something that is actually much more natural to you when you see someone suffering or someone laughing, or or it becomes easier and easier to just feel a kind of blend Looking into another pair of eyes and kind of forgetting where you leave off and they begin.
0: It's, it's interesting to me that um, we we're here in response to a, an art piece. Um, so Theodore Lips was a philosopher um, who became curious about uh, what happens in that experiencing of art and why we might feel what we're feeling. So, what what is this relationship? And that's where. Um, the uh, empathy, the word as, as we know it, was was born um, because he uh, actually started to investigate uh, how art moves us, and that it's in the it's in the our internal experiencing of it um, that feeling into that we actually um, have our emotional response. And then Freud took um, that uh, uh, was influenced by um, Lips uh, writings, and he obviously as um, as one of the founders of psychology, he uh, taught his students to imagine being in the shoes of those that they were working with as opposed to making judgments. And so um, I think empathy is that, is that imaginative leap into what might it be like, what might this person be experiencing um, that is uh, leading to their behaviour or their, um, their presentation. And then at the School of Life, we also talk about how that is... There's a um, sort of a dual process that's happening. So in my imagining what it's like to be in your shoes and empathising with you, I'm also connecting with that part of myself, Uh, connecting with uh, the part of myself that perhaps I don't necessarily relate to in the everyday. Uh, Perhaps I'm even ashamed of or I push away sometimes. But there's there's an acknowledgement of or a recognition of a common human experience when I step into your shoes and imagine where you are and then recognise that in myself as well. So it's an interesting sort of, it's, it's about the other, but it's also about wow, us. Wow, I love
1: that, this idea that we have the full spectrum of humanity within us and sharing a story with someone else enables us to tap into that part of it ourselves. That's incredible. I want to talk a bit about our experiences of A Mile In My Shoes. We've all had an opportunity, Catherine and I went on Friday together and had a really beautiful time. Um, Just about what you experienced, perhaps whose story you got to hear, and what it kind of invoked for you.
0: I I met Anya, who's a a geologist and um, studies the relationship um, between the ocean and the land and the stories that we we shape around what we we know um, from those studies. And uh, it was so interesting to have uh, these wetsuit shoes on, very thin soles, and feel the, this really solid ground beneath my feet, whilst listening to a story that was about the opposite. Actually, was about oceans rising and um, and Anya's experience of being in a community where they've already uh, feeling the impacts and seeing the impacts on their villages of of uh, you know water lapping lapping around the, their doors. Um, and her, her, uh, I guess her, her recognition of how the water, the water at the doors of of um, these people on this island is the same water that's that's at our doors, and that will be rising, and that we are um, often uh, that she recognised in herself about um, feeling she could always go to, she could leave, she could always go to higher ground, and then realising that actually. This is it. We're all on this ground together, and, and this is the same. This is the same water, and it was um, it was a beautiful story actually, so, and, and and our relationship, I think, with with the ocean and the land was uh, threaded threaded through it so so um, viscerally. So I met a I met a guy called Ross,
1: and he works on the Yarra River. He just cleans out the waterways, and it was a really simple story. He's kind of a bit of a larrikin. He's talking about how. Um, there were lots of dildos in the waterways and sex toys and I was like, oh, this isn't kind of my, per- the typical person that I would speak to and was easily kind of tuning out of this story. But he he really owned his story and he was saying how people would wave to him and thank him for the work that he was doing and um, like it, there was something validating in the way that he was telling the story and I, I became more and more excited by how excited he was for the work he was doing and and the kind of story that he owned. So there was something really beautiful in just me having been forced there to sit there and listen to him um, share this experience, but then share it in a way that I could see he was really empowered by, by it at the same time. Well,
2: I had, a, on the surface, quite an ordinary um, journey in the shoes that I was wearing, in that it's, it was a story about a couple who loved a dog. They adopted a, a greyhound uh, at, a, at a shelter, actually. And it was the woman telling the story and all the ways that she loved Dog. Um, So it seemed, you know, I've heard this story many times before and experienced a love of a dog, and so there was, you know, an easy resonance and so on. But anyway, afterward, Nathan and I were walking away, and I said, you know, I think I want a dog. (laughs) So the empathy thing did work.
1: (laughs) There you go. Um, let's talk a bit about the, kind of the context that we're in, and we've, you've mentioned kind of this individualistic mindset that we have—a culture of isolation and and thinking for the self—and the lack of kind of community um, that we're well, not the lack of, but just the separation I think that we're experiencing between one another, and um, what empathy Allah enables for us to actually come back together in community and to localise and to confront a lot of the challenges that we have ahead of us. I think empathy is incredible quality that will enable us in the next 50 years, especially with some of the challenges we face. So I just want to unpack a bit about the, the time that we're in. And, and
2: yeah, A friend of mine wrote a book years ago. It's called The Empathic Civilization, Jeremy Rifkin. He basically is, was looking at perhaps the primary one of the ways that we as a world civilization will have to come together and save ourselves. Um, It's going to have to be through community, and it's going to have to be understanding, even though we have local communities, that's very, very important, but to start to think of them in terms of um, part, our, our local communities sort of merging into the whole of many other communities helping each other. So it's not only, empathy is not only a Beautiful quality to experience in general, always as a human. Um, but I think it's also going to be necessary for
0: survival. It's it's such an interesting question to me because I think it, um, empathy is going to be and, it's, and is actually currently so so um, key to our survival and also our um, our inner well-being and our experience of the world. Um, and I think it's also enormously challenging. And I'm, I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm sitting a little outside um, the world in a way and watching these dynamics play out, um, especially in Australia in, you know, in recent days with the, with the bushfires. I think that, that this, um, I just notice incredibly divisive language uh, that starts to, to come out in, in times of challenge. And the opposite is also true, (laughs) that in times of challenge, we pull together like never before, and we really manage to see each other's humanity. And so I think, although there's something really, um, uh, I think we're drawn into into, uh, much more compassion and empathy and connection in those times, it's also harder in a way to see the other, the, the ones that we don't relate to so well, uh, we don't recognise ourselves in so much, um, and easier to move into that sort of polarisation of, of us versus them. So I see it as um, it's absolutely crucial to our, our survival, um, and it's also beyond humankind. I think it's about, uh, I think empathy is important um, because we're being called into relationship with the world in a way that we haven't been for some time. And um, those signals are, are getting louder and louder and louder. And part of, part of I think, um, what we're being required to do to navigate these times is actually to recognize our place within the ecosystem. And uh, to do that, we need to be in relationship with the other beings and with nature in a different way. And I think that that takes that same imaginative leap. I think that takes that same quality of empathy, of feeling into and relating so that we can become, um, uh, we can can get to a place of responding rather than reacting and recognizing how we are interconnected with each other as human beings, but also with our our broader world for our survival.
1: Yeah, for me, I think about it, we have to move beyond a kind of an extractive relationship with uh, an extractive transaction with the way we relate to one another. So it's less about what I can get out of you in this kind of conversation and into a more generative one. So what I can actually give you and what we can create in this moment together. I mean, if we think about ourselves as as life-giving, life-creating, generative beings on the planet part of the ecosystem, giving life, then there has to be a shift in the way that we're relating to one another. And I think the capitalist consumerist mindset has taught us to be quite extractive and to get what we want and to create this culture that we have. Um, but what this time is presenting is an opportunity for us to, to change the way we relate and to relearn what it means to take care of one another. Um, to, you know, all of the kind of little challenges that we might be facing. Do we need to actually bring someone into our home if they don't have shelter? Do we need to relearn what it means to give them food and to give them water? And these kind of basic human things, um, relearning that. And, and I think you're right in that the, the tragedy will probably spark that in us anyway. We probably don't need to relearn it. We have that somewhere deep within us. Um, but I think these are some of the things we're going to be asking and exploring and experiencing in the, in the short to near term. Um,
2: I, I live near Byron Bay. And as probably most of you know, um, <coughs> there are big fires nearby. So I know a number of people who've had to evacuate from their homes, not only because of fire threat, but because of the heavy smoke and it's beautiful to see how many people are taking in strangers into their homes taking in people's pets i'm always very aware in these huge fires you know we only hear the death toll about humans but i'm always just sick at heart when i think about the wildlife that's that's dying and cannot just get in a car and go somewhere else so yes in all these ways we're in a time where you know, to your point, Nathan, the 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 impulse to be of service to the greater good. And by the way, it's an open secret for happiness. When you when you switch that motivation, you just get a lot more happy. <laughs> Having to constantly be on a big me project, serving me, so that means you wake up and it's the whole day of sort of fear and greed and a kind of hunger of the heart is really tedious and exhausting and usually doesn't work out well. (laughs) But when you you switch it around, there's just so much, you know, help that can be offered in little ways. It doesn't have to be grand.
1: This is the work that you're doing in Dharma Dialogues as well. I experienced one of Catherine's Dharma Dialogues a couple of weeks ago where pretty much there's an audience who can ask her questions, any questions that they have as they arise, and she responds to them. And what I found so amazing was that I asked you a question that was very general around tragedy, but was quite specific from my experience. But I didn't feel like I could share the intimate details of that experience. And you were able... You'd listened with such uh, depth that you were able to answer it in a way that I really needed it to be answered. And I thought it was so incredible the way you did that. And I don't know if you have any advice as to how we do that so so beautifully as you do, or or just generally what the journey has been like for you to hold those conversations the way you do. Well, it, it,
2: it, you're... In your question, you use the word listen, and that's really it. You basically listen from a place in your heart that is empathic uh, as best you can, right? You imagine. You know, you just, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of something that as I'm talking, it's a kind of example of a really cool experience of empathy that we all could actually watch, which is when Patty Smith was, Receiving the Nobel Prize on behalf of Bob Dylan. So he won the Nobel Prize, but he didn't want to go to the ceremony. Hattie Smith went in his place, and she chose to sing a Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, which has about 50 lines of lyrics. Why she chose that is a mystery. She practiced it, you know, she was dreaming about it for weeks. She practiced it night and day, but she gets in front of the very august assembly and she starts flubbing the lines and she she apologizes several times and she tries again and there's this kind of nervousness you can feel in the audience and you probably people might be wondering, you know, why did you pick that song and this isn't so professional, etc. but finally she says, "I'm so sorry. I'm just so nervous." And the whole place erupts in applause because it was a moment of Human empathy that was so accessible to everybody. You know, and you you just wanted to hug her, and she said that afterward at all the events, um, you know, at the dinners and the various festivities, um, people just were hugging her and telling her, "Oh, that was beautiful." And um, it was it was a it was a beautiful human moment of, you know, it is innate in us. We we can. Switch the channel and just put ourselves in another person's shoes, if we intend that.
1: I want actually, I want to ask you a bit about your work as a as a psychotherapist and the kind of the practice that you're doing in your daily life. I think these these experiences that we're exploring are probably very essential to the work that you're doing too. I wonder if you have any reflections.
0: I was thinking when you're talking about that quality of listening, and I think um, I mean we listen in so many different ways. There's you know the obvious listening to the words, the tone of voice. But then there's something about sort of listening to the shape of the person, the way they're moving, the way they're holding themselves, um, the energy that they're speaking with, all of these other signals that we're getting, I think. And being able to, um, the, the, the kind of psychotherapy that I'm trained in is very much about signal awareness. So looking for um, what are the indications of uh, what's emerging in someone um, and why they might have come to, to a therapy session or a coaching session. Um, and being able to pick up and unfold those signals of uh, who that, is, that person is becoming or who that where that organization is evolving to. Um, and so for me, that quality of listening is around uh, noticing those things and in a way kind of dreaming into that experience, which might be even kind of trying on some of that, <laughs> some of that. You know how are they sitting just picking up just even a little bit can be a really interesting way to get an insight into what it's what's happening in in the other um and likewise i think you you know there's a quality that we call intuition which i think you know we all have access to and we can we can train in ourselves but there's um some of the most fascinating things i think that i've experienced in working with people is those moments where i have Uh, an image or a feeling or something that pops into my mind sometimes it's even a phrase Uh, and i'll share it with the person i'm working with and um there was a phrase once i remember with a client i can't remember the exact words that were in my mind but something um you know you're stronger than you think or something and i said i don't know why but these words are just coming through like i keep thinking this and she said, oh, my grandmother used to say that to me all the time. You know, so there's this other, uh, and who knows why that popped into my mind, but there was something in uh, my experience with this other person that, that brought forward, um, you know, a more, uh, more of what she was experiencing, more of her influences and, and, and the figure that was really right for her in that moment. So I think there's, um, there's so many ways to, to tune in. There's that feeling in and tuning in. Um, and a quality of attention, I think that um, that we can practice. And it's so. Um, I think the thing that strikes me about my work the most is it's just so enlivening. <laughs> like, like I, I feel so alive in those moments because you feel the how incredible we are as beings on this planet, moving through the world in whatever ways we do, and. Um, and I think, you know, even meeting people in really dark places, they're watching them in those moments and sharing those moments with them. It's so hopeful, actually.
1: I was really heartened a couple of days ago just to put some of these ideas into, into system, looking at systems that we're, that we're living and working in. I was at a conference on healthcare, and they were looking at um, how we can inject kindness into healthcare and empathy into healthcare. And there were, you know, about 200 pediatricians, doctors, all these kind of, you know, People at the top top end of the medical chain talking about how um, how small acts of empathy and, and kindness with the patient can actually be an integral part of the healing. And there was a, a cancer patient that kind of spoke about a doctor who, through her treatment, just lifted the, the hair of her face, and how powerful that was for her in that moment. Um, and so this work, I think, of, of bringing empathy into these systems that we're that we're living in, and even. Think about the economy. There are some banks where, where they're transacting in a way where the investor and um, the person that wants to borrow money is having a conversation around what they need the money for. And so it's not as one dimensional as you think. They start to understand each other more, each other's needs more, and, and how much they actually have. And so they come to an agreement that is based on both of those humans rather than just kind of a singular um, transaction. So I'm really excited about the role that empathy can play in the systems change. We're kind of witnessing right now, and I wonder if you have any reflections on that.
2: Well, I wanted to go back to something Sarah said, and she was talking about how wonderful it feels doing her work, and it's because of the feeling of connection. We love feeling connected. (laughs) It's you know a sense of belonging is one of the key components of happiness, and in this kind of you know, understanding and in that kind of dedication to the greater good, part of part of why one turns to that is for your own pleasure. So um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, it's I always say it's great to have your own well of joy topped up so that it can flow over. And um, and so yes, I I certainly understand how that that works, and, and that's another part of living with that inclination to empathy, knowing also it's an inclination to belonging and to connection, and the the way that you start to live in a feeling of love much, much more, just with strangers, (laughs) like
0: you. (laughs) I've been doing some work recently with some uh, paramilitary organizations. and what I think is interesting about this time is really how empathy and humanity is starting to... Well, has firstly been recognised as really central to the health and well-being of systems and of organisations, um, and how some of, uh, I guess, almost the most unlikely places that you might find people working um, to integrate that Is that it's beginning to happen? Um, I think it can be incredibly transformational, and I think that um, we're quite, in a way that there's something about humanity and and empathy that is, you know, that we know. But then, how we actually make that happen in terms of systems change, we're pretty messy. (laughs) I think Um, so. We, you know, we're we're sort of learning as we go and. and so I, I, I'm, I'm, watching, I'm watching that unfold with some of the organisations that I'm working with and seeing that wrestle with how to loosen up the role a little, you know. And we, I think we all get stuck in our roles and the, and the, um, the expectations and the power and the, um, the persona that comes with that role. And I think um, empathy requires us to be able to move more fluidly between different roles that I can be, say, a therapist and I'm in a certain role and I can also be a mother and I'm in a different role and I can also be a friend and I can also be a feeling human being who might get nervous or any of those things and that might all happen within a very short space of time and to be able to move between those and, I guess, be able to communicate as I go, it's... um. It, it does require a loosening of self and an expansion of identity yeah, yeah. I love
1: the idea of loosening ourselves and for me a big part of this that we're not talking about is vulnerability it's kind of the drop in dropping into a deeper part of ourselves that we just don't do in our everyday interactions um, so perhaps vulnerability is a key part of, of this experience and that's something that we hold like how vulnerable am I going to be with you in this moment there are any number of factors that would say I shouldn't but you know perhaps there is a deepening as you say this pleasure in you know,
0: Experience and that connection, so maybe we need to be leaning into that. I was just yeah. thinking about power yeah. actually, and I was thinking about um, how challenging it is uh, you, you know, modeling being able to model uh, the, the uh, using power well, and how challenging that can be when um, our models of power have been quite rigid and in uh, you know presented in a certain way. Yeah, so I was just, I. I I was just thinking about that as you spoke. Yeah, yeah. Around how, how to bring uh, in that relationship between power and vulnerability um, and that both can exist in the same moment, mm. that I can both be strong and, and powerful and I can also be deeply vulnerable and authentic and real and human mm. and messy and mm, mm. all these things. Amazing.
1: And another key part of empathy that we haven't kind of touched on is acknowledging uh, our own privilege in in the interactions that we have with one another. And I think acknowledging privilege is is key to to deepening our social cohesions and and the way we live together, right? Um, Yeah, I wonder if you have any reflections on privilege and and what that looks like in in how we interact with one another. Yeah.
2: um, For me, having privilege is a cause for humility. Right. I think that's the appropriate (laughs) response to privilege, you know, because for most of us, we didn't really do much to get our privilege. We just got born in a place or to a group of people. Um, And to kind of wear that in any kind of um, ego way or with any kind of arrogance or (laughs) anything like that is it's just a misunderstanding actually so when the switch is to much more humility uh, in the face of privilege then again we empathy is easier you just feel it more deeply You feel it more easily you you feel you feel empathy with your own friends who are also privileged you understand uh, and you also feel tremendous empathy for those who are less privileged, which are the greater number in this world.
1: I think you, have some, you had some interesting reflections on, on how we actually empathise with someone whose views are different to our own, whose values are different to our own, which is the greatest challenge yes. of empathy. Empathising with someone like Donald Trump, I mean, what does, that, what does that mean? What does that feel like? Yeah,
2: well, um, definitely, I, I feel that that's, that is the challenge. It's the, one, it's the one category that's the most challenging for me and one of the ways that I think about it is I kind of do a little reflection whenever I'm challenged in that way, somebody's values, somebody's belief system, somebody's behavior. Um, I imagine that person being kind in some context, like with their own family, or with their pets, or, or to me, in some context. You know, like the story of the Good Samaritan? Do you know that story? you know, where it was not the ordinary expectation of the person who helped him, the Samaritan who helped this person who had been set upon by robbers and almost killed. Two other people of his own sort of tribe had passed him by, and then this person who was much more, would have been considered an enemy in his social circles, actually was the one who helped him. Um, So it's, it's like imagining a good this person as a good Samaritan to me or to anybody else. So kind of, because I doubt that there are very many people who are just purely up to no good. (laughs) There's plenty of people who are up to no good, but it's maybe not entirely. And to leave a little place in one's heart for the possibility that this person also perhaps has had some terrible situations. One time many years ago, I was teaching in Los Angeles, and a man who had been coming to my sessions for probably a year and who had never spoken, on one particular night I was talking about how I don't see evil, I see ignorance. And he raised his hand and spoke for the only time that he ever did. He'd been a defense attorney in Los Angeles for 30 years at that point, and he had defended a lot of very famous cases of people who've done really horrible, horrible things, and he said that in getting to know them, these, these prisoners in fact, and defendants, he said it would just break your heart to hear their stories, to hear what they've been through, and it puts in context how the rage in them just exploded at some point. And he cried as he told this story, and I, even though this was many years ago that I heard this, I've always held this understanding. Whenever I see somebody acting out, I, I just assume they're, they're, uh, the pot is boiling over inside of them.
1: Big thanks to Catherine and Sarah for being part of this discussion to M Pavilion, the Art Centre Melbourne, and the Empathy Museum, which produced A Mile In My Shoes, for making this event happen. This episode of the podcast was edited by Lizzie Martin, and in fact it's the final episode Lizzie will be editing for us, as her workload multiplies this year with studies and other exciting things. Lizzie has been an absolute legend putting this together for us every month for the past three years. Big thanks to her, and much love. Dumbo Feather is produced on the lands of the Yolokut Willem clan, of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations. I acknowledge the wisdom and custodianship of elders past, present and emerging. If you like what you hear, do consider getting a subscription to Dumbo Feather magazine, which is full of stories about how we can build more resilient and empathic communities. I'll see you next month on the Dumbo Feather podcast.
2: This podcast is sponsored by our friends at EcoStore. We've been working with EcoStore for years to share their ethos of safer products for home, body and baby, made with respect for the environment. Every product is made from naturally derived ingredients, selected because they are safer and more sustainable. You can find EcoStore products in Woolworths, Coles and Chemist Warehouse, and learn more about how they are doing their part for a better tomorrow at ecostore.com.au.